Hello, I'm Alex, and this is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 21. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with Chris tonight. How are you, Chris? I'm all right. I'm feeling a bit lonely. Is, has everyone left? Was it something I said? I think it was something you said, yes. Okay, fair enough. It was all that bonsai Would- chat. So have you got more bonsai <laughs> chat for me? Heck yeah. <laughs> are they growing? They, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, they are growing. Well, some of them are growing. So I'm holding them up to the webcam that nobody else can see. Lovely. Um, looking good. Two looking of them, green. Yeah, two, two of them are dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that means I think I've got four and a half still on the go. Um, and they look like they're about ready for repotting because they've now got kind of two sets of leaves. So I think that's my my job over the weekend is to start transplanting. I'm actually quite interested in this. I know really? I kind of mock I know I know I kind of mock you, but I am quite interested in it actually. All right. Well, mm. there you go. Trans-set. Keep me posted. Mm-hmm. What I else will. have you been up to this week, Chris? Oh man. Um you you know the thing that I've got about socks, yeah? Yeah, or yeah. bonsais to socks. Here bonsais to socks, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the good stuff. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what made me really happy this week? What, what? came through the post? What? Free socks. <gasps> free socks? Free pair of socks from my favourite sock makers, people. They're made out of bamboo and they're just lovely. Mm. And they're stripy and gorgeous, which is just nice. great timing because all the old pairs are starting to get holes in them now, so. So that makes me a happy man. The other thing which makes me happy, sorry, I'll ask about you in a second once I've talked to everything. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> actually, no, no, I'll hold on to it. Um, uh, how are you, Alex? How I, I'm all right, actually. Yeah. I'm okay. I, I did feel like I wasted a, a couple of hours of my life last night washing the camper van. Uh, well, that for, for those like wasted time. Well, normally, no, it isn't. For those listeners who don't know, I've got a a vintage classic 44 year old vw camper van it's she's green. a lovely sage green she's beautiful pride and joy and she needed a good clean uh mm. she had a few cobwebs hanging off wing mirrors and stuff so i kind of gave her a good wash <laughs> and then of course in the middle of the night i was woken up by uh the pitter patter well not the pitter patter it was like proper rain mm-hmm. so uh yeah kind of felt like i wasted my time but Back never mind Back to square one. Yeah. She's still cleanish, but uh, yeah. But uh, also went to the cinema the other week as well. So did we. What did you see? <gasps> we went to see Shang-Chi. So did we. Yay, so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, yeah, first time back. Um, and I knew it would be a Marvel film that kind of enticed us back to the cinema. But uh, mm. oh, yeah, it was really good to be back in the cinema. I know... Andrea, I think a few weeks ago, said that she'd been to the theatre mm-hmm. and it just sort of, it feels like things are, are coming back and it's feeling feeling good to be back in those venues. Bit by bit, bit by bit. Yeah, yeah. So what, what was the thing you were holding on to? What was the other? Oh, it was actually about tidying up as well. Um, oh. I spent uh, an hour and a half, I think, on Saturday basically bottoming out this, this room. I'm, I'm really glad that people listening to the podcast cannot see the webcam because... It looks pretty uh, tidy from where I'm Well, sitting. it does now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> deep clean stuff, you know, fumigators and getting all the web, cobwebs out of the corners of the room and on my hands and knees, wiping down the floors and everything just to kind of get, the, get rid of the sweaty feet smell. Um, but it, it, it was great, you know, and after all the way through the weekend, I just got to stand in the doorway and look at it and go, oh, you know, I don't mind going in there and working on, on Monday morning. Do you know what? So, I have to say, I do find it quite therapeutic having a good clean mm. there's just something quite enjoyable about yeah 
mm-hmm. tidying up and cleaning and having a good clear out, definitely. I hate no, doing I'm with it. You on that one. Yeah, I hate doing it, but love Oh, you hate doing it? Oh, I don't mind oh, doing it. No, 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 no. But that's not an offer. I'm not going to come around and tidy the Thompson household. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be mortified if you did. <laughs> well, on that note, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? Yes, let's. Yeah. All right, Mm -hmm. then. Uh, This week, we have Kylie Little, who is Keeper of History at Discovery Museum. She talked to me about what the role of a curator is and why it's important to collect things for the collection now for the future. She talks to me about how they identify important trends for collecting and what sorts of things they've been collecting recently. We also talked about what happiness means to her personally and how she keeps an eye on her own happiness levels. So enough of me talking, here's Kylie. Kylie, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guides to Happiness. We made it. We've had a few technical glitches uh, this afternoon, but we've got there. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing quite like technology to uh, make you happy. (laughs) Or not, as the case may be, on a Friday (laughs) afternoon. (laughs) How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, really excited to have a chat with you. It's been a little while, hasn't it? I was just sort of thinking back how long it is that we've known each other and without making us feel too old, I think it's nearly about 20 years. Yeah, isn't that makes it? me feel old. Does yes. it make you feel old? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those those wonderful, wonderful days of university studying uh, museum studies at Newcastle. Yeah, oh, I know, it was lovely, wasn't it? And look at us now, (laughs) sitting in our rooms, remote recording on a Friday afternoon. Um, Has anything good happened this week to you? Yeah, a couple of good things have happened. Number one is I got a new car, new for me, and it's Mm. and I'm really not a car person. And um, but my old car was a 2006 model, and um, we reached that sort of point where I was unsure if I would ever reach destination so is the warning light going to come on I just don't know am I about to have to spend a couple of hundred pounds fixing it and so I finally made the decision to um trade it in and get a new car so I now have a a, a 2013 Nissan Note um so it feels like it's you know reliable which is pretty good my kids are impressed with the cleanliness inside for now the tin yeah I was like this won't last and um tinted windows in the back they were like oh feel very fancy Mm, like a like a footballer like a film star with tinted windows (laughs) yeah so um so just purely the you know the feeling of reliability has made me feel happy well enjoy the cleanliness while it lasts because you know I'm, I'm sure like like me with two kids you know the lovely nice clean carpet doesn't stay clean for very long no I had to clear out what's it's from under seats when <gasps> I was trading the old one in everything I was yeah it was I was very ashamed of the state that it reached <laughs> Oh, I know. I feel your pain. And, you know, I kind of get get the car, you know, when I say valeted, I get the hoover out and give it a bit of a clean. And then nobody is allowed to touch it, sit in it, eat in it. But it doesn't last. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoy your new car. Thanks. Um, 
Would you mind introducing yourself, Kylie, for those people that perhaps uh, don't know who you are? Could you just uh, say who you are? (laughs) Sure. So I'm Kylie Little. I am Keeper of History, which is essentially a curatorial role at Tyne and Weir Archives and Museums. But I'm actually based at Discovery Museum, which is um, in the centre of Newcastle, really, um, Blanford Square. And I'm a mum of two. And um, yeah, that's probably it. I always, I think when I worked at Discovery Museum, I always took for granted the fact that there was a huge ship. And I say ship because I remember, uh, you know, somebody saying it's not a, I called it a boat one time, I think. And it's like, it's not a boat, it's a ship. Um, But I think I always used to take for granted, you know, the fact that we had this ship, Tabinia, in the entranceway. And the look on kids' faces when they would walk in and see this huge ship um in the entrance you know you kind of forget how incredible that is don't you it is it's really impressive to be able to get that close up to it and then I think for visitors who know Discovery if you go up to um Tyneside Challenge Gallery and you look at the the model of Mauritania you can see a model of Tabinia next to it and and the scale just blows me away how um you know how how huge Mauritania was but yeah, it's a great first impression when you come into the museum. It is. And and even uh, ships need cleaning, don't they? And I, I remember seeing a few times some of the front of house staff on, on, on top, giving it a clean, uh, sometimes with a hoover <laughs> to yeah. get all the dust off. <laughs> yeah, she does get looked after. She gets looked after well. Yeah. <laughs> So can you tell me a little bit more about your role at TWAM, your, your Keeper of History? Um, I know what that means, but, you know, some of our listeners might not know what that means. So what, what is a Keeper of History? So essentially, I, um, along with two other colleagues in the history team, we look after the history collections. So we've got science and industry and maritime and costume and textiles and social history collections at Discovery. Um, and when I say look after, that means kind of we maintain the stores in a really good condition or as well as we can. And we um, we often get offers of donation to the collection from members of the public. So we'll discuss those um, and we'll take in new acquisitions, make sure they're accessioned, they've got their own number and make sure they go on the collections management system and are described and then packed away in store. Um, we also do a lot of exhibitions work and um, programming events. So at the moment, for example, we've got a project with Imperial War Museums and there's, I think, seven other partner museums and universities around the country who are taking part and we're looking at diverse stories connected to World War II. So um, at Discovery, we're focusing very much on women's stories in the Second World War and on stories of some men from the West Indies and British Honduras who were stationed on Tyneside during the war so we're exploring those. Um, So when's that when's that opening is that soon? We're gonna open that in June next year we're gonna have a touring installation from Imperial War Museum and it's gonna have all the stories from the partner organisations of Scotland and Wales down to Cornwall Um, And then we're adding, because we're doing a lot of work with people at the moment, either through HUK or Care Homes, or we're going to do a call out. Um, So, and hopefully work with Newcastle College. So we're kind of gathering new stories as well that will feature alongside their installation next June. So hopefully people will come along and have a look. 
Fingers crossed. Yes, I'm sure they will. It's uh, I think the Second World War is always a, a topic of interest, isn't it? So I'm sure you'll get plenty of visitors. So from what you've just said, is there a typical day or not so much? <laughs> no, and I think that's probably one of the things that I quite like about it. It's very varied. Um, so last week I had a day working with one of our conservation team in our basement stores, moving lots of science and industry stuff. So really beautifully decorated um toilet okay sure I think I was gonna say that (laughs) Um, and um lots of old tvs um we're moving to be in a better store and then today I've been working on a fundraising bid um which we're hoping to do a really nice project next autumn connecting with communities and young people in the west end of Newcastle around what really matters to them and what they might want to see changed in in communities um, in Tyneside. And then other days it's, you know, lots of inquiries, offers, things that people want to give us. Um, I'm also working on uh, hopefully getting some toddler sessions set up for November, working with um, Heartbeeps and that's feeding into our Festival of Sounds. We've got lots of really nice things happening for that um from online exhibitions to things for schools so yeah it's really varied probably no two days so so is is it is it the variety then that is what kind of uh keeps you not not motivated but you know the the fact that no two days are ever the same is 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 that what brings you happiness as part of your work that 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 variety and, and range of stuff that you can do yeah, I do like I, I do like the variety and the fact that you're always learning. So um, I've been at Discovery for seventeen years now, um, <laughs> and I've done so many different projects. I'm always learning about a different aspect of the history of Tyneside, whether it's music or the history of people with disabilities on Tyneside, or migration, or football, or family history. So it's quite nice because each time you feel like you're learning something different, you work with lots of different people as well. So from academics at the local universities to different curators um, across the country or members of the public who are really interested in what we're doing. It's also the programming side of things. I think that's also quite um, varied and I really like working out what it is audiences want to see from us um so as well as imperial war museum we're looking at tying in with the lindisfarne gospels which are going to the laying out yes. yeah very exciting. it'll be here before we know it as well won't it it's really, it really exciting. Will. <laughs> so i think we'll try and do something to tie in um it's also hadrian's wall anniversary next year so we're thinking about you know how could discovery do something to tie in with that obviously the wall came right through the city and quite keen to to explore that and as I just mentioned we're thinking of something for autumn next year around kind of activism but it's it's very much about kind of what future do you want to see and and the museum being able to be relevant to communities in the west end of Newcastle so that that's really nice that there's so much going on and there's lots of stories involved which I really love and which with kind of each donation offer that we get for the collection, there's a story usually. Um, sometimes it's not, but usually there is. And then with programming, it's always how does this tie back to Tyneside's changing story? So yeah, yeah. yeah it's really it does does bring me happiness. There are frustrations, of course, at times as course, there are with any all jobs, yeah. any jobs. But I feel very very lucky. Um, I remember someone at school 
at the gate saying, you know, I think I said, oh, how's work? Just like, oh, it's terrible, but who likes their job? <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, it's me. I, <laughs> I, I quite like my job. Well, you spend a lot of your life at work, don't you? So yeah. you best do something that you enjoy, really. Yeah, I think when I was growing up, my um, my parents were really keen. You know, I think the, the strongest piece of advice they gave is if you find something you love, it's not like work, you know, it's not. I mean, you still work hard, but you do, yeah. You don't mind kind of, so much, do you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. yeah. So what do you enjoy most about your work then? You've you've talked there about, you know, the, the collecting uh collecting stories, working with different communities, putting on a, a varied programme. What What is it that you enjoy most about your work at TWAM? Um, I think that's quite, it, it's meaningful. I think with the programming and working with people, it's actually tying it all together with issues that matter. So in lockdown, we had a little bit of a pause when we couldn't do our usual um, programming. We thought about what it is we're about and how we want people to find value in us and and we did some really interesting work around and we've and we have always done a lot of work that's relevant to contemporary society but we we put together a climate change trail around the museum our collection really kind of speaks well I think to that topic in a different way so you know we've got the obvious history of coal mining but we explored fossil fuel and pollution and mm. um, we looked at renewable energies and there's a lot of that work going on on Tyneside yeah um, we've got a light bulb obviously Swan's light bulb in the museum so we kind of flipped that on its head and we talked about energy consumption in the home um, so that was a really interesting piece of work and it felt really meaningful as well and then we did a really great women's trail inspired by a book called Angels of the North so yes, there's I've loads of that one yeah it's yeah, great yeah. it profiles a lot of um women from lots of different walks of life um so journalists sports women scientists teachers people who did a lot of charitable works on Tyneside and we we created a trail around the museum um shining a light on their stories so that was really impactful as well so I think I mean the only thing that was missing there was that we didn't get to work with community members a lot because we were at that point in lockdown but I think you know bringing together the stories of Tyneside communities and working on things that can make our communities better is is probably it's that kind of coming together of all of those things that's what I enjoy so what's it like being a curator then? I think, you know, maybe some people have got, a, they might have a bit of a traditional view of a curator. I think it's it's different at different places. I think if you're an, a curator at a national gallery, then you're probably going to be quite specialist. But in the role that I am in, in a regional museum um, service, it's a much broader role. Um, and it's not, and because it's a, a social history kind of, background it's not about me being an expert so I think for me my role as a curator is about being able to connect with people mm. um, and tap into their expertise whether they're an academic or someone a member of the public um, and about connecting them with the collections um, and I do think curators have probably have been seen as like a negative role I suppose as if they're holding the collections and people can't get access and the knowledge and that's what, and yes yeah, yeah. Mm. so that's what I think we try and break down those barriers and not be like that as much as we can at um, Discovery but it's a it's a lovely role yeah it's great because of all those different elements we've just talked about 
So you do a lot of contemporary collecting, don't you? Um, so sort of collecting now for the future, uh, while we while you can, while the people are around to, as you say, tell the stories behind the objects or record an audio piece. But what does contemporary collecting mean for you? What's what's it yes. all about? Yeah, so um, in my 17 years, I did a little stint as Keeper of Contemporary Collecting. I think the post was created in 2004-ish, um, and various people have been in post um, in, the, in that period since then. But it, I think when we talked about it at um, Tynemere Archives and Museums, we decided that contemporary collecting was about collecting from the past sort of 15 years, although different museums have different timescales some go right back to kind of 1940s so yeah it was very much for us very contemporary so we were and still are we're looking at kind of trends what's happening so for example we collected to do with covid so we we did a call out and asked people to send in rainbows that their children had drawn and put in the window and tell us the story behind it so that was really interesting and we also got in touch with um, a local supermarket and they've donated a uniform that um, was worn during lockdown and we talked with the lady who worked there and about her experiences mm. it's a very varied program I think contemporary collecting it can be so wide ranging but hopefully it means that in the future we'll, we won't have missed missed a trick whereas now we kind of so I mentioned the Imperial War Museum project now we kind of looking at the collection thinking how come they didn't collect women's stories you know women served in lots of different ways during the war and yet their stories aren't here so I suppose that's in our mind that we're trying to make sure we cover a lot of bases for for the future yeah it'll it'll be but it'll be impossible to capture everything isn't it that's the, exactly. that's the thing it is and that's I think the challenge of some places don't contemporary collect because they'd rather wait and see what the relevance is like further down the line so I suppose mm. there is a risk that you know you're taking by carrying it out it's probably hard as well with covid to collect a, a a true a true representation of it because you know as, as you'll know everyone will have had a different experience and will have different stories but as well it may well be too soon it's kind of a bit of a catch-22 isn't it you want to kind of catch some capture some things while you can uh, like you've just highlighted, but then at the same time, for some people, it might still be too raw to tell their story of lockdown. So it's a balance, isn't it, I suppose, as well with, with contemporary collecting, about collecting at the right time. Yeah, definitely. And that question of sort of sensitivity and are people in the right place to talk about it is certainly something that we discussed a lot, especially if someone's, you know, lost a loved one during yeah. the pandemic, then this might just not be the right time um so yeah it's got to all be done very sensitively and um mindfully I guess mm. do you think people get a certain sense of um happiness contentment through donating a story or donating an object yeah I do I mean most times the people who people who ring up with donations is kind of a, a difference so we we call people who ring up with offers would be kind of passive collecting where we haven't gone out to actively collect and then and then there's active collecting which is like the covid type collecting that i mentioned but usually the, the people who ring up with donations they've held on to something for a long time it might be really sentimental we had 
a lady who got in touch recently and offered us a cake topper from um, her grandparents' wedding in 1925. And it's so beautiful. It's kind of like this cream hoop and it's got all of these little cream flowers and there's a little cherub on the bottom <laughs> and little silver slippers. And it's a great, it's a great story. And, and um, we agreed that we would take it into the collection. So, yeah, I think people feel maybe a sense of, of validation and also you know if they don't have these anyone to pass these things on to then it's really nice for them to know the museum is is keeping them in perpetuity and they're going to be shared you know they might not go on immediate display but they're in store they can be accessed and they can be shared in temporary exhibitions and obviously now through a lot of social media platforms so so yeah I think there is a sense of happiness with donating yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we still have work to do on who who donates those so it tends to be kind of older people um you know yourself Alex you've worked with younger groups at the museum and perhaps they don't always like I think you, you did a skater project and yeah. you and they were kind of like you yeah. want to collect our shoes or our skate <laughs> yes I do like, your stinky shoes <laughs> yeah so I think there's a bit of work still to do about kind of people seeing the value in their everyday items as well I think that project, now that you've mentioned it, was was a really interesting one because and, and I think it again demonstrates why, you know, a, a curator sitting behind a desk can't be making all the decisions around what should be collected because I had no idea that a group of, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old, mostly boys, uh, a couple of girls in the group would pick out a fluorescent pink skateboard. But that was the one that they wanted. And I would never if it was up yeah. to me, I'd have never have made that, you know, if we were to buy a skateboard to go in the collection, I wouldn't have picked that one. So I thought that was a, that was a prime example of why we can't have decision yeah. makers making, yeah, making those decisions yeah. on behalf of communities. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that was a great project. Oh, that it was so long yeah. ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> Kylie. <laughs> you don't know. It was just yesterday. Um, what would you personally donate to a museum if you were uh, asked Kylie give us something what would you uh, what would you donate oh it's so terrible that I just I've been asked this before and I never really know I mean <laughs> to donate to discovery it's got to have a really strong you know a strong connection to Tyneside so well I studied at Newcastle University and lived in Newcastle Gateshead for you know almost half my life um, but dare I say I now live in Sunderland so um so I just I don't know isn't that terrible maybe an oral history um which would then kind of give a student's perspective on being in Newcastle and motherhood because our oral history collection is great but it it does and we have done a lot of work broadening it out but the core of it is very focused on kind of industrial history so maybe maybe that I don't know a terrible answer it's just it's just the nature of, of of collecting though isn't it that it has kind of focused on i guess that yeah the, the the subject matter of industrial heritage because that's what was so strong in in the northeast and uh yeah yeah and that's and, and the recordings are fascinating you know connected to different industries and and like i say we have broadened it out and collected different stories but I, again there's still work there's always work to do in every area <laughs> <laughs> this might put you on the spot a little bit but uh can you tell us a secret 
Or can you tell us something unusual or maybe something that maybe people wouldn't necessarily know about what goes on in a museum? Can you share something like that with us? Oh, okay. Well, you might not know that our collections can kill. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I might be slightly exaggerating. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, people probably know there are hazards in the collections. So with science and industry, you put expect there'll be things like asbestos I guess and so we take a lot of precautions in terms of um, staff safety but what you might not know is our costume and um, textile collection has also got quite a few hazards um, <laughs> yeah really interesting so um, in the 18th and 19th century men's felt hats were made using furs or rubber or hair um, and to make the fur stick together, the hatters would brush it with mercury, which is really highly toxic. And if you're breathing it in, it could cause them to kind of like have trembles and, and cause lots of different issues. So you might have heard the phrase mad as a hatter. Yes. Um, oh, is that where it came from? I believe that's where it came from. So we have to be quite careful. And there's other things too. So many of your listeners will be familiar with arsenic and mm -hmm. the fact that it you know was used could be used to poison people but also um because it dyed fabric bright green they used it in dresses and gloves and shoes artificial flower wreaths so if we've got a beautiful green dress in the collection from a certain time period we know we need to wear it gloves <laughs> um, wow and all of these, you know, all of these risks, are, I should point out, are manageable and we have risk assessments and of course, we can of course. wear gloves and masks. And But it's very, it's, it's really interesting. I find the whole kind of, and if, especially if you look across the collections at Tram, there's lots of different hazards, like uranium glass in the decorative art collection and interesting stuff. I never thought that I would encounter when I was kind of training to work in museums. I always remember when, you know, I was working in the outreach team, you know, doing a behind the scenes tour was always a highlight for me personally. I was like a kid in a sweet shop going behind the scenes and I'd done it, you know, however many times before. But there's just something so exciting, isn't there, about going behind the scenes at a museum and seeing stuff that nobody else has seen. Because, of course, we all know that only a certain percentage of the collection is actually on display and I always remember before the Hancock, well, the, before the Great North Museum was uh, the Great North Museum, no, it was the Hancock. And just you'd, you'd go through those doors and the smell uh, would just hit you. And Eric's taxidermy office was always an amazing place to be. Like we half finished animals on shelves and stuff, you know, mid, mid stuff. Um, oh, it's just something exciting, isn't it? Going behind the scenes. Do you still get that buzz and that excitement of going behind the scenes and having a, a professional rummage? Not, not a rummage rummage, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. What's in um, here? <laughs> it's all very uh, controlled. Um, yeah, I do. I think the stores are, are great. Obviously, I have different responsibility for them so I'm kind of looking at them differently and trying to make sure they're kept up to standard in terms of everything's where it should be and clean and and what have you but yeah when I think when you start working on a new project and then you're investigating you know what objects might be used to tell a story or might people want to see you do find things that even though you've been there you know nearly two decades you've never seen before um so that yeah it is it is nice to be able to discover new things and also when 
different people come into the stores to see things. So a lot of Northumbria fashion students come in, had people who were interested in the kind of fishing baskets they used to use in the past. Um, so each time a different person comes in, it's really infectious because they look at an object in a different way and mm. they get really enthusiastic about it. And so that's really lovely as well. So we've talked a little bit about happiness at work, uh, you know, where, where you find happiness in your in your working life and um, the happiness around um, people donating to, to the museum. But we've, we've said we've mentioned the word happiness, but what does it mean to you when you when you think of happiness? Is it something you think much about? I do. I do think about it. And I was thinking of that, that um, there are some cultures aren't there where they when they talk about snow they don't just have one word for snow they have like 26 different kinds of snow and I think that we probably need to think about happiness in that sort of way because there's joy or contentment or gratitude or uh, yeah there's just so many different forms of of happiness and then I also think about the kids film Inside Out Mm, which um, such a great film isn't it yeah I really loved it I don't I think my kids loved it I don't really yeah maybe on a different level than I was thinking about it but anyone who hasn't listened it follows um a 10 year old girl isn't it and she has to relocate home with her parents her dad gets a different job and so it's about her experience of a new house a new school a new neighborhood and um it's told from the point of view of the of five of her emotions that are kind of controlling her actions so I think joy is like the lead emotion and then there's sadness and anger fear maybe um can't remember them all but joy is in control and she really doesn't want sadness to touch any of the memories but this little girl feels remembers you know her friends back home and feels sad and then they go off you know changes some of her core memories and her behavior and then it and then the story is about that kind of how joy comes to terms with the value of sadness and actually it's really important (laughs) but but you're right yeah Yeah. it's it's such a clever film when you think about it and I think yeah a few other interviewees have talked about how actually you have to experience sadness and you have to experience unhappiness to know when you're happy yeah and to appreciate when you're happy or content um yeah yeah completely and I think in that she she, joy realizes she has to experience the sadness because then that signals to the people like she needs help she's not maybe not coping well with the mood so yeah I think so I think about happiness just in relation to lots of other yeah other emotions so is it something that you actively work on then or is it just something that you're just aware of no I think I think I work on it so I probably about 15 years ago I think I read the and there's a book by Gretchen Rubin called The Happiness Project, which I would recommend. So each month of the year, she she enacts a small change in her life to see if she can be a little bit happier. She has a very, um, she's very lucky in her life. She, you know, she had a very good career and she's saying her family are really healthy and happy. And But she just felt like maybe there were some tweaks. So I think that kind of set me off on a bit of a journey of, um, yeah, am I just living purposefully am I thinking Mm. about what makes me happy rather than just kind of what other people see as happiness and what um what their society I suppose sees as happiness it's kind of how you want to live isn't it so I do set myself little goals um (laughs) I was gonna say can you can you remember any of the things that you you did inspired by this book 
I think it was just probably the kind of the usual about exercise and being creative and I think she's a real big fan of like decluttering which I also quite I quite enjoy a good day of decluttering. Is that a good or a bad thing as a curator to declutter? <laughs> oh I don't know if I would even attempt it at work. <laughs> a lot of processes to go through to declutter. Too connection. much paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> but at home, there's a lot of toys and books and um, things that need organising so I can let myself go with that stuff. So, yeah, it was quite a long time ago that I read it, but I think that's kind of, it's always in my head, like what little things can you do to just feel a bit more content, I guess. I'll have to check it out. I've not come across it. It sounds... Uh... Yeah, it's nice. She's got, she tweets and does all that sort of stuff as well. Mm, I'll go and start following her on uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Thank you. So do you consider yourself to be a happy person then, Kylie? Oh, I mean, I know happier people and I know <laughs> <laughs> less happy people. I don't know. I wouldn't say I was like bubbly. I would just say I'm just experience a range of emotions. <laughs> I would say I'm a content, contented person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. To, contentment sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Very, very valuable. So what brings you happiness then when you're, when you're not at work? Um, what do you like to do to, to bring some happiness into your life? So, well, I guess all the kind of stuff that the people would say, my family and friends and nice home and career and health. And little things like I love a cup of tea and a chocolate digestive biscuit, especially if it's got like the toffee layer in between. Don't know what they're called. I'm a big fan of biscuits, and in fact, work set up a biscuit club <laughs> because of my love. But that was just before lockdown, and so it's. I'm afraid it's sort of fizzled out. But maybe that's you'll just good have to get it health. restarted again. <laughs> I know. I'm not sure it was good for anyone's health. Um, so can I ask a controversial question then? Okay. Jaffa cake. Oh yes, we had this debate. I cake, mean, cake or biscuit? Cake because it doesn't crumble. <laughs> I don't know. I've forgotten where we came down on this one. What I do you th- think? I think it's a biscuit. Okay. I mean, it's. Biscuit I, I can. See, I can see both arguments, of course. Yeah. But, uh, I'd. I'd go with biscuit. Mm. I mean, I suppose the clue's in the name, isn't it? Yes. Jaffa cake. Yeah. But I don't know. You find it in the biscuit aisle. It's true. Also true. Cases can be made both ways. There we are. We'd be no good in debating club, would we? Yeah, terrible. But I guess <laughs> Sitting on the fence. I agree. Yes, I agree with you too. Um, yeah, so lots of little things and big things. Um, but I think <laughs> mother, elements of motherhood, I'm choosing okay. my words carefully because it's also quite hard. <laughs> but I think having having kids you know there were times of real happiness so I really Mm -hmm. enjoy the kind of community that the school brings and the kind of rhythm to life so kind of like the seasons I like that the kids have you know before COVID you had the Christmas play and they were all little and then all um, Christmas jumpers and woolly hats and you couldn't understand what the play was about at all because the kids just don't matter <laughs> you couldn't hear what they were crying or whatever but it was just really sweet and I like that I think having kids for me kind of make, makes each of the different um festival whether it's Halloween or bonfire night or Easter you put a bit more effort in it's a bit more special so quite like that and I love reading with them <laughs> 
So my mum kept a lot of our books from when we were young because we really loved reading. So I've been able to rediscover like the Jolly Christmas Postman. Oh, me. yes. And all the little yeah. pockets and things that stuff yeah. was kept in. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I yeah. know. The book within a book within a book. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and my youngest loves like there's a little jigsaw in there as well of Humpty Dumpty. So he really loves that. But then also like discovering new books so I'd never read any of the Julia Donaldson ones I just I love the snail and the whale I feel like mm. the life lessons of the little <laughs> snail defying all the other snails going off on a little journey around the world and then thinking she can't help the whale but she can I think it's great um, yeah. and then there's just fun ones aren't there I love oi cat which is about which animals can sit on which other animal which other objects sorry so the kids really like that big fun that sounds like a modern version of uh, the, the old, what's the old lady who swallowed a fly? Oh, yeah. Yes, that's another one that I've got from my childhood that I've read with them. Really nice. <laughs> so I thoroughly enjoy like reliving my my childhood and finding all these new stories. Um, I find as well with school year, once you've kind of divided your life into half terms, yeah. the, the year just flies. But you think six weeks, that's ages. But actually, yeah. oh, look, it's half term. It does, yeah. It gives you something to work towards, doesn't it? It's really helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, their questions that they ask are sometimes just really nice. So my eldest was asking, like, how many how many types of animals are there in the world? How many species? And um, so I feel like I'm always learning something. Again, thank goodness for Google because oh, I don't know yeah. what I would have answered. I'm, so I'm always like, should we, should we Google that when we get home? If they ask yeah. me a question, oh, we'll we'll Google it later. Yes, I know. So it's a, it's a bit of a godsend. So yeah, now I know there's like 8 million species in the world and how many, I think we only know about a million of them. And then we had a great day trip to, I think it's called Washington Wildfowl um, mm-hmm. Park. I think it's called that now. Um, and so again, my eldest was chatting to one of the women who worked there about the ducks. And it was a, it was just a really in-depth conversation about the lives of ducks, which I never thought I'd be having. And so it was really interesting. Just they're so curious, aren't they? And they're like the little details yes. that we, yes. once you get older, you kind of just like, I don't have time. I don't have the energy, but they're really interested. So my youngest is really into kind of pretending to be animals. So you'd kind of expect, you know, the horse, the neighing, and then dinosaurs. But the other day I arrived to pick him up from my mum's and he was lying on the pavement outside the house. It just like, I thought, oh my goodness, there's been some sort of disaster. He's having a meltdown and pulled up and got out. I was like, what's going on? My mum was like, Oliver has been a turtle. Of so course. he had a backpack, <laughs> which was his shell, obviously. And then his little arm was kind of like sticking out. And I just thought, it's just so funny. And the other day it was a sloth. <laughs> Really just got crawling along the pavement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just little, those little things are really yeah. sort of priceless, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I love one of my favourite rounds on uh, Richard Osman's House of Games is the round where they ask the, uh, I think it's the production team's children, they all kind of ask questions and then and often there's usually a sort of three-year-old who just asks a completely random question which there's no way the contestant can ever work out the answer but it's just absolutely brilliant as you say seeing seeing that inquisitiveness that that querying stuff and asking really random questions yeah uh, is, is brilliant I love it yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you for that that's great yeah I can I can relate to that uh, with with my two as well 
how do you maintain then positive mental health and well-being? Is that um, you know is that something that you you, you think about? You've sort of mentioned that the 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 Happy Project book. Oh yeah. Is that one way that you kind of try and maintain positive yeah. mental health? I yeah. So I mean, obviously, you may be the same with having kids. You don't have a huge amount of time. I think on your own. It's, um, we've got. a great support from my parents but it's a small support network so it's not a lot of time when we can kind of go off and and do hobbies or whatever so so it's kind of finding little pockets I suppose of time so Mm. I've recently started reading fiction again which I kind of I loved reading and it dropped off I guess when I had the kids and then in lockdown again I was thinking why am I not reading so I've set myself a little challenge of a book a month so I'm doing that which I find it's like just it just a bit of escapism isn't it that you can be transported to a different time a place a different life so I think that's good for my positive health I know one of the mums at school knits and I remember thinking oh, I should knit because she's great at knitting oh, I haven't got the patience for it I wish I could and, as well yeah so I was like I got the knitting needles out and had a go and then I was like actually this isn't my kind of positive health and well-being thing mine is kind of reading and I do I try and do little bits of exercise so I have a little walk on a dinner time just 10 minutes if I can that makes me feel better there's some great apps out there as well so I've got the Calm app which is like a meditation I've tried it ages ago and I was like this is no good I can't my mind just thinks all the time I can't do this but the Calm app is quite good and I feel like I've learned a lot because she says to you it's not about having like this blank mind for 10 minutes it's noticing all the things you think about and then just as if it's a muscle kind of bringing it back so I probably Mm. managed like five or six seconds of no thinking after it's about impossible. seven years of 10 minutes a day but um it's quite nice to have that 10 minutes of quiet I think it's hard I don't know whether you feel this as a as a parent but it's the it's the guilt of having time for yourself as well isn't it I think you know you yeah. you kind of feel bad for not spending you know 100% of your time with your children but actually you need that time to yourself don't you yeah um, and I to I be a better a good, parent yes to be there I think yes yeah, so your patience is better <laughs> yes. <laughs> had a little time out um <laughs> putting myself in time out and then I think also you know some of the things that I do I would hope that the boys would do when they're older like they would see me exercise or they would see me read or go for walks or or just spend a bit of time doing something for me so hopefully they'll um see those habits and learn from them yes being a positive role model yeah exactly amazing thank you so much kylie we've had an eclectic conversation from uh, mercury and arsenic (laughs) in uh, old clothing in your collections to the uh, the philosophy of inside out to uh, the hidden meanings of uh, the snail and the whale so uh, the full spectrum there of uh, (laughs) of, uh, things to talk about Thank you so much for your time today. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure catching up with you again. Uh, you we're, we're probably Thank due you. a reunion or something, aren't we? Uh, Most of, uh, definitely. Of our museum studies course. There's, yeah. uh, there's a few of us uh, out there that uh, we should get together and uh, have a drink in the hot spur. <laughs> Sounds fabulous. <laughs> but thank you very much, Kylie. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
So that was Kylie. What did you think, Chris? I thought that was really enjoyable. Uh, it was really great. There's that was a book by Kate Atkinson called Behind the Scenes at a Museum. I uh, just kind of thinking about that phrase all the way through it. I think it was her first book, first novel or something. Mm-hmm. I love Kate Atkinson books. But I just love the idea of getting behind the scenes at a place like Discovery or, or the Great North Museum. Um, love being in those spaces, got some so many happy memories, particularly when the kids were younger. Mm-hmm. I remember this horrible incident when I took Daniel there, we drove and parked up in the car park and then walked from the car park to discovering the pouring rain. He was on my shoulders and uh, we went around and we were all kind of wet. We really enjoyed it. And then we walked home, we uh, walked back to the car park, no car keys. Oh, I dropped no. them on the way to the museum and of course some somebody thankfully had, had picked them up and dropped them off the police station when it's still at Pilgrim Street but we were <laughs> all we could do was to walk back through the pouring rain back to the museum and try and find the warmest spot that we could <laughs> when Daniel was about five or six or something he was remarkably Listen. patient but I just remember sort of sitting there in the museum we just really wanted to cry I was like oh, this has been a disaster <laughs> so anyway um yeah Many happy memories of hiding out <laughs> in Discovery Museum. Um, but no, no, just just love it. I mean, that, the description of the um, Turbinia just, yeah, it, it does really hit you when you sort of walk in. But the thought of kind of what's behind all that, what's all the other stuff mm-hmm. that, they're, that they don't have out, um, it's, a, it's all a bit of a mystery. So, uh, yeah, love the idea of having a job where you're called the Keeper of History. The Keeper of History. I hope she's got a sort of big yeah. cloak with a massive collar and a sort of headdress, <laughs> I think. I was always worse than the uh, the visitors because when I when I worked at Discovery, you mm. know, we'd often take community groups, you know, behind the scenes on on special tours, and I'd often be worse than uh, them in terms of excitement levels. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, get so excited, open the drawers. <laughs> well, that was that was the thing. Listening to the two of you just kind of geeking on about Geek, geeking archives. on, how geeking dare on, you? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's obviously. You know, I know it's not what you do now, but it's obviously something that's kind of formed a massive part of your life and your your identity and kind of who you are. And, oh, and I remember was... the moment I mm-hmm. I was in primary school and, you know, as people can probably tell from my accent, I, I grew up uh, down south, down yeah, in London. Sure. And so our, our school trips were to the British Museum. Um, and I remember wow. just as a primary school kid walking into the ancient Egypt galleries and just being completely mesmerised by it all and uh, went on and did, you know, Egyptology at, at, at Liverpool and then ended up working in a museum. But for me, that was where it all started, really, that that school trip as a, as a primary school kid. Yeah, did, love it. Did I ever tell you that I proposed to my wife on the, the steps of the Hancock Museum, as it was then? Oh, no, you didn't. Yeah. Completely oh, premeditated. We both knew we were going to. We thought, all right. So we, I need to propose properly. We went and caught the ring. Where are we going to do it? And it was either going to be Central Station or or the Hancock. And we decided. I decided the Hancock. It's a pretty impressive uh, backdrop for us. It is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great stuff. And I, yeah. I loved the uh, story about the arsenic. It's a slightly <laughs> worrying story, but still a great uh, piece of a. Uh, gossip there on on the collections and the color green and uh yeah that was great yeah i i liked her description of of, of trying to meditate you know that whole kind of mindfulness thing of trying <laughs> to stop yourself seconds. thinking yeah yeah well I'm, i tried I, I um when i first got chronic fatigue syndrome the physio that i was working with elaine who was great kind of got me on to doing this kind of app guided 
meditation as mindfulness work and it's great but man it's so hard to kind of is it meant to be hard no it's not and that's that's actually a really good point it's not um (laughs) (laughs) i'm completely mischaracterizing it i really really like it it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to do kind of in the middle of the afternoon when things are getting a little bit too much i just kind of take it right i'm just gonna 20 minutes just get away from my desk and just kind of try to stop yourself thinking or at least kind of let the thoughts just kind of pass and go Mm -hmm. and sort of recede into the distance like the traffic moving on so yeah i completely got what she was talking about with that it's you know it takes a lot of practice to do i think that's what i mean Mm -hmm. it's not that it's hard it just kind of takes practice yeah Um, yeah. but uh no I i think more people should do it i really liked and could relate to what she was saying about um, having children mm-hmm. and um, you know the, the balance of being a working parent and making sure that you still find time for yourself to be a better mm-hmm. parent you know but also the joy of discovering some of the old classics the old books that you know you read or had read to you as a small child and discovering new ones as well and just the joy of being able to enjoy you know, Halloween and Christmas, just in a, in a different way, mm-hmm. you know, through a, a child's eyes, I suppose, as yeah. well. So all of that sort of stuff I could really relate to. Yeah. yeah. I've realised how much of a curmudgeon I've become, you know, when you get around to a, Halloween. A, and... a, hmm? <laughs> a cum- curmudgeon? I'm a curmudgeon, yes. A curmudgeon? Oh, I've never heard that word before. Have you not? All right. It's no. kind of sort of old grumpy man, I think is probably the best Like way. a bar humbug. Like a bar humbug, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> But yeah, when when yeah, when your kids get excited about stuff, that kind of changes, and you kind of yeah, you do see it from a different angle, and yeah. kind of shines a light on your, <laughs> as you say, your bar humbugness. <laughs> so, well, thank you, Chris. That was great, mm-hmm. um, and thank you, Kylie, thank you, as Kylie. well, for for that interview. Yeah. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidestohappiness.co.uk, or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the Northeast through this podcast thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle COVID Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. Next time, we have Mandy Cresswell, who is the Chief Officer at Meadowell Connected. Meadowell Connected is a community hub based in the Meadowell in North Tyneside, which has been serving the community there for over 25 years. I talked to Mandy about why she's so passionate about working in the community sector and what happiness means to her. So you'll hear me ask questions like this. It's an important part of the community, isn't it, Meadowell Connect? It's been it's been around for a long time. Why is it important to have this place? And hear her give answers like this. I mean, for me, I think it's that it gives p- people a space to connect. I mean, we're, we're called Meadowell Connected. And that, I think that, that at the heart of it is what it's about. Because usually what we find is somebody will walk through the door, often for one reason, and then... Once they start to like trust us and see that we're there for the right reasons and that we can do a range of different things, then we start to learn about them and learn about their history, their story. And then we find out, you know, actually there's loads more things going on in this person's life and that's how we can help. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. <laughs> <laughs>